The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. AT&T has hit a roadblock on its way to Washington to seek approval for its $85 billion merger with Time Warner. And General Electric boss John Flannery is doing some soul-searching. These are the topics we'll be discussing on this week's edition of The Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm your host, Jennifer Saba. Anthony Curry is out this week, but joining me will be Breaking Views editor Rob Cox and Breaking Views U.S. managing editor John Foley. AT&T's bid for Time Warner has hit some hurdles. Over the past week, the Department of Justice has signaled it may try and block the deal, which could have a meaningful impact on the whole notion of vertical mergers. So what we're going to do is try something a little different here today and turn the tables. Um, John, you're going to be coming to the United States very soon, we hope, um, to take over as managing editor of the U.S. So I think this will give you a good um, baptism of fire into what's happening here. And this is like one of the biggest deals um, of the year and, and the implications that, you know, the DOJ is, is taking a hard look at this. This deal's been going on for so long. It's what more than a year now since this was announced. Um, and it just seems to get more and more complicated. And we already knew that President Trump basically has, has threatened to make this deal not happen. Now it seems like the DOJ is positioning to potentially um, throw another spanner in the works. Where exactly are we with this? Like, what, what's, what, what's got to happen now for this deal to actually take place? Well, I mean, basically, they're waiting for approval from the Department of Justice. So a couple things can happen. And again, this, this is very fast moving. So there is a timeline that the DOJ and AT&T hashed out um, early on when this merger first took place, where the DOJ, if they want to sue to block this merger, they have to do so in a certain amount of time. And it looks like they're coming up on that deadline pretty quickly. Um, the other thing is AT&T can settle. And um, one of the concessions that uh, the DOJ had asked for, or two of the concessions, was um, either sell uh, Turner, a, a division within Time Warner, and it's, it's an entire clutch of cable networks that includes CNN, or sell DirecTV. They, they can keep the content and whittle down the number of uh, people that they distribute that content to, or... Um, they get rid of a meaningful part of Time Warner's portfolio. I mean, Turner has uh, a, a huge part of um, Time Warner's operating profit. I think it, it counts for more than half. So you can see why AT&T is like, wait a minute, um, this could be a big problem. But then the alternative then is that the DOJ, which is looking at obviously concentration, competition in the market, if they sue to block this merger, that's basically a bad sign. That means that they've decided that this is a combination that just shouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good sign for a deal. So as you know, deals have momentum, and, and that's what feeds deals. And when when it stops and when there are hangups, that is going to be a problem. And so far, the DOJ has always indicated that these vertical mergers are not a problem. Now, we're starting to see uh, regulators, and you can talk about this because, you know, from your perch in Europe, taking a harder look at the whole idea of vertical mergers. Now, in the media landscape, it's changed. A lot has changed in 40 years. There, there were only three broadcasters here in the United States 40 years ago, and now it's just incredible. There are you know, cable operators, there are broadcast stations, there's Facebook, there's Google. There are all sorts of uh, distributors. So it's changed dramatically. And you're starting to see you know, how in Europe they're starting to rethink 
hey, wait a minute, this this whole idea of competition, you know, we need to... Well, right, exactly, because this this makes me think a lot of what's been going on with, with some of the tech firms, Google in particular, and uh, Amazon in Europe, and Apple. And, and in Europe, I don't know how much you've been following this, but um, we've got a uh, an antitrust uh, chief, Margrethe Vestager, here in Europe, who is basically like the antitrust version of a wrecking ball. And she, she's been deliberately looking uh, with totally fresh perspective on how tech companies do business and raising questions about whether we need to rethink the way that we think about antitrust. So the big, the big case here was, was Google, which was fined 2.4 billion euros for giving preferential treatment to its own shopping service on its search websites, which actually, like, although it sounds kind of mundane, um, antitrust lawyers and Google were, were totally freaking out, out about this because they said this is not normally the kind of thing that antitrust regulators get involved with. Uh, they look at you know, horizontal mergers. They don't look at whether a company is privileging its own products, which previously we've seen as being okay. So it'd be interesting if the DOJ is sort of taking a leaf out of Europe's book and saying, actually, some of these companies now are so big and their business models are so kind of new and disruptive that we actually maybe need to change the way we've always thought about what constitutes market dominance and how big is too big and whether customers really benefit from, from you know, a bigger merged, in this case, you know, cable and content business. They are the number two wireless player in, in the country with almost 140 million subscribers. And everybody, as you mentioned at the beginning, people watch content on their phone. That is one of the number one ways that, that people have changed their viewing habits. And so the phone has become a very powerful uh, point of distribution, if you will. So the question is, if, if so say, say the DOJ has some pretty valid reasons for at least looking very closely at this merger. So we've got this problem then where along comes President Trump, who kind of steams in and, and he's made his views on this deal relatively clear, I think, since since the early days. And he Yeah, even when he was stumping, he was saying he'd block the deal. Yeah. He's no fan of CNN. Now, isn't this gonna kind of complicate things? Because even even if the DOJ were to weigh in against this merger for for perfectly valid reasons, which it may do, this has now opened a whole new can of worms where people are gonna say, listen, DOJ you're doing this because you've been lent on by the White House. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and AT&T is making that argument um, that, you know, look, you know, there's interference, you know, the top guy, and this is egregious behavior. You can't have, you know, Donald Trump trying to influence a deal. Um, you know, it brings up uh, President Nixon when he was trying to, you know, clip broadcasters when he didn't like, um, you know, certain coverage of his administration. So there, there's some, you know, serious allegations. And we're going to start to see the thinking and, and what's going on. And that's part of what's unfortunate about all of this is that there is no transparency in this process whatsoever. I mean, if you were listening to AT&T, they've been saying that this deal, they expected this deal to pass. And, and again, to, to their credit, they had 40 years of um, you know law to go by, and why wouldn't it pass? So all of a sudden, it's hit this roadblock. But then you have to ask yourself, all right, is that because Trump is meddling, which he's been doing for you know the past year, or is it because there's been a change of heart and that perhaps things haven't been going so smoothly uh, for the past you know year during this review? Let's leave it at that, John. Thank you so much, and we look forward to having you in New York. The $178 billion industrial conglomerate GE is trying to find its way again. New chief executive John Flannery has chopped the dividend and is taking a hard look at its portfolio of assets. 
Rob Cox, you're joining me here to discuss what is the end course for this company? <laughs> well, it's been around for a long time. Don't forget Thomas Edison founded it. It's one of the only, I think it's the only component of the Dow Industrials. It's still in the Dow Industrials, although there's a question mark or an asterisk hanging <laughs> right, over that. Right, they're down 25% yeah. since October 20th. Right. I mean, they're down 40% a year. Oh, um, in the year. Right. So, so this, is, uh, this, has been, this is pretty wrenching for General Electric. I mean, there's a couple things that come out of it. One is um, you know, they have a whole series of problems that <laughs> were, for some reason, um, not transparent to the marketplace. And that raises a bunch of questions around the governance. Look, John Flannery is, trying, is having to reset the company. He's having to reset the stock. He's having to reset the entire portfolio of General Electric. The last 16 years under Jeff Immel has been, in some ways, was a transition from Jack Welch, the right, great conglomerate his builder. His handpicked right. handmaiden, if you right. will. And this to, is, yeah. if you look at the difference, the about face and strategy that you have from Flannery um, relative to Immelt, and then look back to in 2001 when Jeff Immelt took over from, from uh, Jack Welch, it's like night and day. I mean, he is completely, he's having to completely re-engineer um, the company. Um, the, what's sort of shocking is just how out of in the dark investors were about some of the true state of the company, the way its capital was allocated, the the claims on cash flow. That it's kind of shocking, and that's that's one of the, the the concerns one has about the governance about this of this company. It's a huge board, right? I mean, it's eighteen people. He's taking it down to twelve and adding three new. So he's effectively firing half the board. That's a pretty amazing thing to be doing. Um, and and I think part of that is the fact that uh, under Jeff Immel. The board was uh, relatively complacent, even though it's got some, you know, really established, credible people on it. Um, it, it really somehow allowed all this place this place to run amok. And don't forget, you know, the sort of the thing everybody remembers now was Jeff Immel had a, a, a two jets, one that to carry him, the other in case. I think you referred to him down. as two Jeff. Jeff Immel. Two yeah, Jeff. Jeff. Two Jeff. <laughs> two two Jeff, jets. Jeff. Immel. Um, but, you know, the, the, one of the things, if you read through the 57-page um, uh, plan that Flannery put out uh, on Monday, he talks a lot about uh, 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 changing the way that General Electric allocates capital to its various industrial businesses. And that's the reason, you know, he's getting rid of $20 billion of assets. Um, but they're really going to take a completely different look at the way they use money inside the organization. And that actually suggests that they are, he is going to be running this more like a private equity guy mm -hmm. than um, sort of think of Jack Welch and the sort of Six Sigma, you know, management I retreats. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm not but... sure either. It just means continuous <laughs> yeah. improvement. But, yeah. um, but so, so this is, this this fundamentally changes the way that the company is going to be run, and really, it's going to—I think—it's going to redraw its its portfolio of assets. And and my view, long view, long—we've written this many times, and particularly when they did this deal where they took the oil and gas business and shoved it into Baker Hughes, mm -hmm. and then created a publicly traded company in which GE owns a stake. I see that as a model for um, a couple of other major businesses within uh, General Electric. Yeah. So Electric. so this brings up uh, a, an illustration actually that I covered Time Warner. Uh, closely. This seems like right. a Jeff Bukas playbook where Time Warner whittled itself down sure. assets, yeah. spun off all sorts of divisions. Do you think that's kind of where, it sounds like that's where it's moving with the Yeah, I mean, you know well. Jeff, the Jeff Bukas Time Warner story better than anyone. And they had a they had a, a plan to focus on something, you know, on content and to get rid of all the distribution. So it was all, the, the argument in the first place was it all hung together in some way. 
And that's sort of similar to what General Electric has, has sort of thought, argued that the um, the whole is worth more than the sum of its parts, um, that there were synergies between these various businesses. You know, if you make electric turbines then, or, you know, gas turbines, then the technology can be used, uh, the materials technology can be used in, in aerospace, in, in jet engines, things like that. I think they're just, they, they can't quantify that. Um, they're not seeing the benefits of that. Some of the businesses aren't as world-leading as they'd like them to be, even healthcare, which John Flannery used to run. You could completely see in, in a scenario where they merge that with some other big company, maybe a public company, and have a big stake in it and hold that stake or eventually uh, give that stake to shareholders. So if you had to, put, to, to glance into your crystal ball, what is the mm. strongest uh, division that they have now? And would it kind of, you know, what would it would it be that at the at maybe 10 years down? My guess is jet engines is, is a yeah. world leader, right? And, and it's not obvious that you can merge with, I don't know, Rolls-Royce or, or you know, someone like that. So I, or Pratt & Whitney, which is part of United Technologies. The world probably needs three large makers of jet engines. So I don't. So I imagine that's a, a core area of competence. Um, and then I think power. I mean, one of the problems is they did this deal with Alstom, um, which actually we thought was a good deal when we when it came out based on, of course, the projections of the numbers, but you don't know whether they hit those numbers or what really happens to the cash that goes into that business. Um, it seems like it's the kind of business that um, once they figure it out, could be a world leading. And this really, by the way, is what Thomas Edison's, the heart and soul of what Thomas Edison produces. The light bulb was just a way to show off that he could harness electricity, don't forget. And same with appliances. So Rob, when, when companies come out with these big restructurings, you tend to expect that, especially when they kind of own up to all the problems they have, which Flannery clearly has done, that the shares are going to go up. Um, and, and the problems at GE were kind of pretty well flagged. You'd written about them. We all knew about the two jets, which is a kind of an egregious example of corporate excess. And yet they've come out with all of this. He's, you know, he's rediscovering the essence of the company. They've ditched the light bulb. Thomas Edison is spinning in his grave. But the shares have fallen. And yeah. I think they're down now like 11% since this came out. Well, it's, first of all, it's, it's just I would have thought if I, if I were an investor, this is dead money for quite some time. You're going to have an opportunity to get back into General Electric at a, at a price at or near or below its current price. So I think that's just a general people just said, you know what? I've got, I can put my money to work for a couple more years somewhere else. Um, and he hasn't actually said, okay, but at the end of the road, this is a $30 stock or it's a $40 stock. He really, he's not able to do that. I don't consider that necessarily a failure. I think it's actually a sort of, uh, it's, he's, there's no more BS at General Electric. There's no more saying we're going to have $2 a share in EPS when really that's a, that, all that is is a talismanic number that doesn't actually reflect the operations of the business, which was what, what really befelled uh, Jeff Immelt in the end. Um, so I, I, know, I don't think it's, um, it's concern about you know, the thing falling apart. It's just it's dead money. Why would you invest in it? All right. Well, let's leave it at that. Thank you, Rob, for taking us through GE. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Rob Cox and John Foley. And hats off to our producers, Andrew D'Antonio, Ryan Warner, and Freddie Joyner. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com and subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. 